Good morning. My name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV, and I'm glad you can be with us as we are finishing up our Back to the Basics message series. In this series, we've been looking at the fundamentals of the Christian life. And to help with looking at those fundamentals, we've also been looking at um, illustrations from fundamentals in sports teams. And I'm a huge baseball fan. Spring training has started and it, it's getting going. And one thing that is so important to a team is something called team chemistry, how the players relate to one another, how the clubhouse is. Do they like playing with each other? You think, okay, let's just go buy the best players and create the best team. But a lot of times when you do that, you also buy big egos. A lot of money can go with a big ego sometimes, and it doesn't mesh well, and then they don't play as well together on the field. The Angels, which is my favorite baseball team, they got a new manager last year. And it was interesting. I was listening to an interview with him on the way home from work one day, and he was talking all about the team chemistry. He was saying, we have some serious guys on our team, and so I'm going to try to help them loosen up and have fun this year so that they really enjoy playing together. And he must have done that in the past because this year two players from his former team joined the Angels because they wanted to play for him. One of them was through a trade, and he had a a clause in his contract where he couldn't be traded unless he said, okay, you can trade me. And he said he jumped at the opportunity to play for Joe Madden again. So team chemistry is so important that it can attract players to come and play for the team. And we we know how it is so important to have a good culture at work or in family life or at school or at church. You know, the culture really either attracts people and they enjoy being there or it repels people and, and you don't look forward to going to work or you don't look forward to relating in your family or you don't look forward to going to school or you, you, you try to avoid certain people at church or going to church because the culture, it's repulsive. But the Bible gives us a different picture and it shows us that the church should be attractive to people just like The players are attracted to go and play for a team that has that good clubhouse, good team chemistry. Our church should be attractive to people that want to come be a part. John 13, 34 and 35 is Jesus talking and he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The team chemistry of Christ followers is love. And Jesus gives us a hint of what that love is when he says, love one another as I have loved you. He gave us the example of what it means to love one another. And that sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? Okay, we we love one another. Everybody wants to be around people that are loving, and if we feel loved, we're going to be drawn towards those people. But the thing is that if it was so basic, then why are there so many broken relationships in the world? Take a look at this headline from the Epic Times. What we see here is broken relationships are illustrated in this article that shows there's been a 34% increase in downloads for divorce templates. 
year over year in the last month or so. It's from a company called Legal Templates that provides legal documents online. And what is predicted is as things open up, there is going to be a tremendous spike in divorces. It's incredibly sad. And it illustrates that there are real relational problems in our culture. Yes, this shows marriages, but, but it happens in other areas as well. Family, friendships, all sorts of messages. And American culture at large, we just have this misunderstanding of what a loving relationship is. And that makes it really hard to define love because it's this vague definition that we get. Look at some of the quotes that we we get that help us form what we think love is. Shakespeare in A Midsummer Night's Dream says, Love looks not with the eyes, but with the mind. John Lennon, a former Beatle, says, Love is a promise. Love is a souvenir. Once given, never forgotten. Never let it disappear. Aristotle says, Love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. And then Charles Schultz says, all you need is love, but a little chocolate now and then doesn't hurt. These are fun quotes, but they they don't really give us any specifics on how to love someone. And most of us just live with this vague sense of what love is, but the results are these broken relationships. So we're going to look at love today and get specific on what that means. And to do that, we're going to bounce around the Bible some and look at different verses. And I want to encourage you that you can do this as well. You can find a list of verses about a certain topic that you want to study and learn what the Bible has to say about that. You can go to some place like BibleGateway.com, like this picture, and you can type in love and it will give you a list of all the verses that have love in them. And there's hundreds of verses that talk about love in the Bible. Well, today we're going to start with Matthew 22. And this, these verses, um, what we're going to see is Jesus was questioned by some religious scholars who were threatened by Jesus. Jesus came and he's speaking with tremendous amount of authority. And these scholars are threatened by it. So they're trying to trick him up with these questions. And so they ask him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And look at Jesus' response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here we see that we're to love God with all we have. And we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We'll look more into loving God a little bit later. But let's dive into what is really being talked about here. So first of all, when you're talking about loving your neighbor as yourself, it really the as yourself part, it, it's talking about priority. Sometimes we have a low self-image and we think, ah, I wish I, I wish I was was stronger in this area of my life where you start to compare and think, wow, they're really good at that. I'm, I'm just terrible at that. And we, we can develop this low 
self-image and, and we think, well, I don't, I don't really love myself that much. So how am I going to love someone as myself? But even with a slow, a low self-image, we're going to naturally know how to take care of ourselves. We're going to naturally put ourselves first in situations. And so what this is talking about right here is priority. When you love your neighbor as yourself, you're giving them priority. You're showing deference to them and and letting them have priority of, of the love. Instead of loving yourself first, you're loving your neighbor first. So loving your neighbor, it, it like yourself, it, it's a priority issue. So you prioritize the other person like you would prioritize yourself. Now let's look at this word love to get a real good sense of what is being talked about here. It's not vague. This word is not vague like the definition we have in our culture today. It is specific, and if we understand it and put it into practice seriously, it gives us something to grow in for the rest of our lives. The New Testament was originally written in the Greek, and the Greek word for love that's being used here is agape. And agape love acts in the best interest of someone before God. Now, this definition is really important because what you're doing is not just giving into whatever someone wants, giving into their demands. What you're doing is you're looking at what is going to be best for this person before God. It's really hard to do because we can think in our minds and our hearts, we can think, if they really love me, then they're going to let me pursue this opportunity and what I think needs to be done in this situation. But here this definition is saying, it's Jesus. He's saying, act in the best interest of someone. That doesn't mean that they cave into your demands or you cave in to their demands. It means that you look out for what is going to be best for that person. This last week, I went to a conference in New Orleans, and um, actually, I just got home yesterday, and this morning, I was telling my kids, I said, you have the coolest mom in the world, because while I was gone at this conference, Gina added two kids to the mix. We have four kids, nine and under, and she had added another five or six-year-old and another three-year-old to the mix. So you have the coolest mom in the world. Not many moms would say, hey, my husband is going out of town. Dad's going out of town. Let's add two kids into the mix. But really what she was doing, it, it was out of this idea of love. She was looking at the best interests of that of the family and, uh, and saying, yeah, I'll, I'll watch your kids. And then she was looking at the best interests of our kids. She knew it would be a blast for them to have friends staying with us. That's sacrificial love. Loving people like Jesus loved us. It's really, really hard to do. And I don't know about you, the next question that I would be having as our, after I'm reading this verse and getting a, a sense of what this kind of love is and, and how you do this, my next question is, okay, I get it. 
So, I need to act in the best interest of my my neighbors before God. That's what's being talked about here. But who specifically are my neighbors? You know, how many people am I going to need to love like it's being talked about here? And you know what? Fortunately, someone in the Bible had that same thought and that same question. Look at, at Luke 10, 29 through 37 with us. It's a long verse, so, so stay with me. Um, but let's look at this together. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So this religious scholar goes around him. So too a Levite, another higher position in society, when he came to the place and saw him pass by the other side. But a Samaritan really looked down upon in this society as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here we see Jesus defining neighbor broadly. It's this sense of it's anyone we encounter, anyone we interact with. We need to act in the best interest of those that were around. So as we people, as we deal with people in business, we need to do right before them. Does that mean we can't make a profit? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means we don't deal with them underhandedly. We don't fraud them in any way. We're upfront with people in business. So are we really supposed to love everyone? Putting their best interests? Acting in their best interests before God? Well, Matthew 5, 43 through 44, takes it up a notch and says that we're to love our enemies and pray for them. It says, you have heard what it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow, we, we're, we're supposed to love even those who persecute us? You know, at the beginning of, of COVID or a month or two in, um, maybe three months in, I can't, I can't remember exactly, I was really struggling with anger towards uh, our California government and the governor because it, it, it was treating us differently than other things. You could go to the store and get food. You could go to restaurants. You could do all these other things, but don't you even think about gathering for church. And so I, I started to pray for for our governor. And my heart softened toward him. And it, it turned from this anger to kind of a, a sadness 
for him because what I realized was he, he was lining up on the opposite side of God. And when you do that, it's not good for you in your life. People who go against God don't have good lives. Now, I'm still going to, to fight for the freedom for a church to meet and, and not just give in to, you know, the, the policies. But I don't have to have this anger and this, this hurt towards him. Loving even our enemies. is It's not just what we should do, but it, it's good for us. If we love and pray for those who persecute us, then we can also love by forgiving those who have wronged us. First Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So we love our neighbors. We love our enemies. We, we forgive one another. And we also, we love by meeting practical needs. First John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his neighbor in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? A couple of weeks ago, some members uh, of, of ours were having some medical emergencies, and I got an email back. I was sending out emails to have uh, people pray for them, and I got an email back from someone, and they said, let me know if there's any financial needs for them. And as I got that email back, it was almost predictable email, because this person, that's what they do. They meet the needs of people. As they see needs, they volunteer and offer help. That's, that's what agape love looks like. I'm going to look out to the best interests of people before God. Now, there is a lot more things that go into this, this agape love. And we're not going to spend time on going through every one of them because, again, like I said, there's hundreds of verses in the Bible on agape love. But I want to encourage you to look them up and start to make lists of practically. This is what agape love looks like. Maybe you do the Bible gateway thing like we, we looked at. And what you'll find is there's going to be some surprises in there as you see what is it really look like to love one another like it's talking about here. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What this verse is talking about is, is you got to Spur one another on. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to point to the Bible and say, you're not living in line with this. And I don't want you to experience the pain from living life that way. That's not letting people just do whatever they want. That's spurring them on towards love and good deeds, encouraging them, helping give them strength to choose to live life God's way. So the overall perspective on the love that's being talked about here is act in the best interest of someone before God. So dig into the Bible. Look at what that is practically and put it into practice. 
Now, this is the last week of our Back to the Basics message series, and we started off this series by looking at Christ as the center of our life. That is where we get the power to love like it's it's being talked about here. And sharing how to restore your relationship with God, sharing the good news that is found in the Bible, that is the ultimate way that we can love people who aren't yet Christ followers. We love them by sharing the gospel. Romans 6.23 is what we looked at in that first message, and it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of eternal life is Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in that first message, all the way back in beginning of February, we looked at the bridge illustration and how there's this gap between us and God because of sin. And all people have chosen to sin. We've chosen to go our own way apart from God, but God is perfect and he's holy. But Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life and he made a bridge in that gap so that we can cross over to live a life with a restored relationship with God and on into eternity. And so we looked at that in that first message series. Now, when you look at this verse, it says Christ Jesus our Lord at the end of it. And it brings up the question, what does it mean to make Christ Jesus our Lord? Well, to help us to understand what that looks like, what that means, we're going to we're going to look at this pie right here. Because a, a lot of times what we think about our life is that it's like this pie right here. And we think of it in terms of sections. So I, I have my my spouse. So how I relate to my spouse is one part of this pie. I have my kids. I'm going to write it like this so it's easier to read instead of going down like that. I have my kids. I have work. That's another slice of my pie. There's my finances and how I deal with those. That's another slice of the pie right here. Maybe I, I'm into travel, and so I'm going to put that as a slice of the pie as well. And then I, I might have church, you know, in there as well. That's another slice of the pie. You know, if you're watching this, you do have church as a part of there. And then I have some free time. You know, when when do I get some time to myself? What what am I going to do with that time? And then Jesus might be or is a slice of that pie if you've committed your life to follow him. And so this is kind of how we view our life. But when it talks about Christ Jesus, our Lord, what that is saying is that we we take Jesus from being just a slice of the pie and we put him in the center of the pie. So Jesus being the Lord of our life means he gets to be in the center here. So we removed him from a slice and put him in the center and he calls the shots in these different areas of our life. And what we've been looking at in this Back to the Basics series is habits, fundamentals, that as we practice those and do them, Christ really does become our Lord 
in these different areas of life. So in this series, what we have looked at is we've talked about in the first week, Christ, the center. So Christ is the center of our life. And so that, that's what we're talking about right there. That's where we get the power to choose, to, to put into practice the Bible. It all starts with a relationship with Christ. And then we looked at prayer, purposeful prayer. Then we looked at reading the Bible and having daily time reading the Bible. So daily Bible reading. And then we looked at memorizing the Bible so that God could use it in specific situations to help us to apply it to our life. So scripture, memory, and then today we're looking at loving people. Having a community of people where we act in the best interests of other people. And so what I want to do is I want to look at how this, how doing these things over and over and over again, even when they feel mundane, how does that help us to make Jesus the Lord of our life and help us to continue to grow in our the Lordship of Christ over our life? And that helps us to make real progress in life. So how this works is, is you pray and you pray like Jesus modeled for us. You know, not my will be done, but your will be done, God. And as you pray for that and you pray, God, show me how to change my life to be more and more like you. As you pray that, God will show you different ways to relate, different ways to love people. He'll give you help. And then maybe you're, you're reading the Bible. And one thing that you come across in your Bible reading, is this idea of serving people. Maybe you read First Peter 4:10 that says each of you should uh, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And you read that in the morning in your seven minutes with God. And later on in that day, you're, maybe you're at your group where you're, you're practicing loving people. And at your group, you hear, Oh, so and so is having trouble with their computer. Well, I, I'm, I work in IT. I, I work with technology and you offer to go and serve them. Isn't that amazing? What happens as we read the Bible? God gives us these situations that help us to put it into practice. It's it's really incredible that we can have these conversations with the creator God of the universe. He can get us ready for opportunities that are coming up later that day before we even know that, that those opportunities are coming up. So you take advantage of that opportunity because in your daily Bible reading, you want to put it into practice. God prepared you for that situation. Maybe you memorize that verse, 1 Peter 4.10, and you you are talking to someone at the picnic later today or something, and you hear about a need that comes up, and they're, they're moving next weekend. You say, hey, I can, I can help you move. I can use the strength that God's given me to serve you and do that. I can give some time that you probably don't have to give. And so that's how scripture memory can help with that. And then you, you're, you're loving people. You're, you're 
loving them. They're showing you examples of how to live like God talks about. And you see, as we do these things over and over and over again, we're praying, we're reading the Bible, we're memorizing scripture, we're we're in these relationships as we do these basics over and over and over again. We are growing in our relationship with God. And Christ is becoming a bigger part of the center of the pie. And he's touching every area of our life. And we are experiencing the blessing that comes from living life God's way. That is how the basics help us to get real traction in our life. Let's go back again to Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, loving God is obeying him. We see that in 1 John 5, 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And we love God by obeying him, just like we just looked at. Small acts of obedience. Day in and day out, spending time with God, praying, reading the Bible, learning about God and his ways, putting it into practice, memorizing key verses to help us to overcome temptations that we we keep hitting in our, our life. Spending time loving people like the Bible talks about. Those small acts of obedience Day in and day out, they produce a life of real impact, a life of spiritual growth and fruit that it's beyond anything we can imagine. So we just have to not get tired of practicing the fundamentals of the Christian life, not get tired of messing up and feeling like we're starting over again. We keep pushing forward with God and with each other. And as we do that, we experience life to the fullest. I want to encourage you to take a next step in response to this message and in response uh, to this series, really. Each week, we have some next steps to work on. And so I want to ask you, what is a fundamental of the Christian life that you want to work on over this next week, maybe this next month, whatever it may be? And look at these next steps. Maybe you want to take one of these. First is just maybe you're you're not yet committed to making Jesus the Lord of your life, and you, you want to do that. So your next step is to commit my life to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Make him the boss. And that was that first message, Christ the center on on February 7th. The next thing you might want to do is to pray using the the model that Jesus gave us. And you want to pick how many times you want to do that. And you can go back and reference that on the message from February 14th on Purposeful Prayer. Or you might want to spend time with God how many times a week. 
That message was on the 21st, Daily Time with God. Or maybe you want to memorize four verses this month, one a week. And you can get some help with that in the scripture memory message on 228. Or last one that we, we looked at today is you want to act in the best interest of someone before God by filling the blank. Maybe God showed you something specific that you want to put into practice this week to really love someone the way that it's talked about in the Bible. God loves us. He loves all of us. And we can love him as we obey his commands, loving people, putting the Bible into practice. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. God, we ask for your help. Help us to take next steps with you, practicing these fundamentals, whichever one it may be. Just give us the desire and give us the persistence to keep after these basics so that we can, over time, experience the growth that you have for us. We pray that you would help us to do this, Lord, this week and on into the future. In Jesus' name, amen.